0: Hey guys, it's Noah. Before we get into our next episode, I just want to encourage you to check out the description of this episode. While you're there, you will see references to all of our social media accounts. Please pause the podcast and take a minute to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and even TikTok. Also, while you're there, you will see a link to check out our blogs. I highly encourage you to go to couchfanaticsports.com to read our daily content. Lastly, you can find our YouTube channel in the description of this episode. Take a minute to subscribe to the Couch Fanatic Sports YouTube channel for weekly content and interviews. Now, I just want to thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Couch Fanatic Sports Podcast. Please feel free to download, rate, and subscribe to our pod. Now, let's get into the latest episode. What's up? Welcome back to the Couch Fanatic Sports Podcast, episode 14. Uh, I'm your host, Noah Domingue, and for the first time, we have our first interview only took 14 episodes to finally get here after talking about it since day one. But, you know, we finally have our first interview. Uh, you can kind of look at the description of the episode, kind of see who's coming up. Give a couple hints. hints. Um, this guy might be the most interesting person I've ever met. Yeah, we're kind of digging right into the episode in case you didn't tell. <laughs> um, but this guy might be the most interesting person like I've ever met. Uh, he was a professional fighter for like six years. Then he was on the U.S. men's grappling team for like six years. I think he made the team seven times. Then he was a performance strength coach, training guys at the Combine like some household names like Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, LaShawn McCoy, Frank Gore, like guys like that. He also ran the New Orleans Regional Combine for a few years for the NFL. He was also a scout in the Canadian Football League. He is also a ref in the UFC, Bellator, PFL and things like that. So, yeah, this guy is pretty much done it all. Uh, I think the last thing he has left was to come on a podcast. So pretty much he has c- completed the trifecta of sports. <laughs> he has done fighting, football and now podcast. So, I mean, he could pretty much retire now. He's pretty much a hero. It's like the uh, the scene from Spider-Man. Like, don't be careful. He's a hero. It's going to be this guy after uh, It's going to be my guy, Gabe, after this episode. Um, we're gonna kind of get to that in a minute. I'm gonna touch on a little bit of news first, and then we'll play the uh, the interview. It was a very good interview, honestly. It was very fun. It was a pretty long one too. He uh, he was very grace. He was very gracious with his time, to say the least. Uh, you'll see. I'll also post the interview on YouTube. Uh, you can check it out there if you prefer to watch it. Uh, I mean, whatever you want to do, it's up to you. But I will be posting the interview on YouTube as well if you're more of a watching type of person and yeah. But it's a very fun interview. Uh, we started off with this time just kind of kind of how he like made his transition like from thing to thing. And we talked about probably the first half's more about fighting, second half's more about football, but I th- there's some pretty good stories in there. I think uh, no matter what, no matter what you really enjoy, there's something in this for everybody. I myself not really the biggest fighting like UFC kind of guy. I'm not the biggest um, mixed martial arts fan. But I still was wildly entertained by a lot of the stories. And uh, he's a he's a very interesting fellow. So we'll get to that. We'll get to Gabe in a minute. Um, If you're new here, I'm like, I'm going to assume that we do have some new listeners here uh, coming with interviews. We have a few more interviews coming up soon that I'm working on. And I'm hoping that kind of helps spark this uh, to where we can go on a nice little run of interviews Loyal listeners since day one, uh, some content that they've been like, you know, yearning for. Um, kind of digging into some new stuff real quick. Um, as you probably know by now, uh, Tiger Woods was in a a single car uh, accident, uh, roll up. I think they said that he broke both of his legs. I'm not sure if it was a rumor or not, but I know they had to put a rod in one of his legs. Um, man, that was a scary thing to hear on a Tuesday morning. That, um, especially after the, the Kobe Bryant stuff that kind of happened last year, not to kind of be a downer here, but, uh, Tiger Woods and Kobe Bryant are more on the same like level, so to speak, when it comes to popularity, when it comes to, uh, nameness, likeness, like people who just like know that guy, they're on the same sort of level. So, uh, hearing something happened to Tiger, it was Twitter was kind of in shambles, uh, everyone was rushing to, like basically refreshing their stuff all day trying to find updates. Uh news outlets covered it like crazy. I mean, there were there were news outlets that just live streamed the broadcast for 10 straight hours. Not just like an ESPN news outlet, like stuff like CNN and Fox. Like people like that, like major news outlets were doing this because that's just how much like Tiger Woods like matters It's how much like of a following he has. Um the uh, one of the first things people were worried that it might have been like a DUI. Uh, the cops came out very fast and denied that, saying he wasn't driving impaired. That apparently he uh, swerved to like not hit something. Uh, it was another car or someone. I don't. I'm not sure because it's kind of hard to take anything on the internet and proclaim it as fact. There are a lot of conflicting stuff, so I've been trying to stick to just like what like the police have said, um, but it was a, he was the only one in the car crash. Uh, it was a roll up. The front end of the car was pretty much destroyed. Uh, the police report said that the firefighters had to use the jaws of life to get him out. Pretty much both of his legs were crushed. Uh, he had a compound fracture in one leg and they had to use a rod to fix it, but he is awake responsive. Now he's conscious. Like everything's good. The injuries aren't life threatening, thankfully. And, uh, His, uh, I think it was his dad giving some of the updates to the media this morning, uh, Wednesday morning. Uh, I'm recording this Wednesday right around, you know, afternoon time. And his dad told everybody, like, he should be fine, but, you know, like, just to, like, keep him in your prayers, keep him in your thoughts. Uh, it's obviously a very long road ahead for him. Um, the, it kind of, it's weird because now the discussion is more, What's going to happen to Tiger? Like, will he ever play again? Now, if he was a normal athlete, he's probably a no, right? But being that it's golf, could he play again? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think regardless of if you'll ever play on the PGA Tour again, Tiger's probably going to be out there golfing every single day because that's just what he does. But it is kind of disheartening to think that, like, we might have seen the last time, like, Tiger wearing, like, a Sunday red. It's kind of crazy to think about because this is the guy who was indestructible in like the early 2000s. Like his popularity as a golfer was just as popular as like Kobe Bryant and Ken Griffey Jr. And like that's what Tiger was doing as a golfer. He had random people watching golf on Sundays just to watch Tiger because he was just a straight up electric factory. Like he was... Just pure electricity. Every single weekend, uh, people would tune in just to watch Tiger. They didn't care about anything else. They just wanted to watch Tiger. Um, so that's the type of guy that he is. Uh, obviously, they've had a lot of stuff happen in his life since then. Um, since those early two thousand days, it's been a very long and weird path for Tiger. So hopefully, he can recover from this. Hopefully, he can. Uh, hopefully, he can get back like good and well again soon. Um, He was the crazy part was he was actually on his way to meet uh, Drew Brees and Justin Herbert, you know, a couple of quarterbacks in the NFL uh, to go like give him like quote unquote like like a lesson, like basically like go play with them and like like go cut up with them. And this is a day after him spending the entire day doing the same thing with Dwayne Wade. So. That's it's it's kind of wild to think that this guy was just like, you know, he was like a few minutes late, like going to meet Drew Brees and Justin Herbert, like doesn't want to be late. The guy who's probably the goat at his sport worth nine hundred million dollars. He's he's worried about being late to go uh, go golfing with some football players who like just like aren't golfers. Um, that's kind of wild to think about. But I mean, I, I'm happy like it's encouraging to know that he was he wasn't driving impaired. He wasn't like doing anything wrong. Like it was just like an accident. So that's very encouraging. I saw a lot of negative comments about that, saying, assuming that he was either drunk or high. Uh, there's really no place in that, especially in the situation that was given. There's really no reason to to say those things, especially like since we didn't know anything yet. Um, and then I don't know why that's your first thing in a time of tragedy is to point to um, a certain mistake that a man might have made in his past. It's just... It's a little much. Like, it's just not the time and place for it. I mean, was Tiger was the greatest human being of all time? No. But him getting in a car accident that people think is life threatening, should that be the time to start talking about it? like yeah, oh yeah, he was probably drunk or oh yeah, he was probably high. No, that's not the time. Um, but anyways, get well soon, Tiger. Golf's gonna be weird without you. Um, but this isn't gonna be the last time Tiger wins. Tiger's going to beat this, just like he'd beat everything else, and he's going to come back stronger than ever because that's just, that's just what he does. Um, Coming back from his back stuff that he came back from and winning the Masters, at this point, I don't think you can really count him out for anything. That being said, uh, now that we kind of touched on that, tra- we we'll transition a little bit right before the interview. Um, I just want to say there's, like, no sports to talk about. This is absolute, like, hell. I'm happy I had this 40-minute interview uh, to – to come on the episode today because between the NFL ending and like baseball, not really like in full swing yet. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's hard to find stuff to talk about. Uh, the First weekend of baseball uh, for college started this weekend. It's very fun to watch all of the, I'm paying a lot closer attention on college baseball this year. That is an LSU because the Red Sox have uh, the number four pick in the draft. So I was, paying way too much attention to uh to some of the starts by like Jack Leiter and Jaden Hill and you know things of that nature so yeah we uh, I'm very excited about that this this draft class feels like it's gonna be absolutely loaded um, especially on the pitching side there are three pitchers that like I just named uh, Leiter, Rocker, Akuma, Rocker, and Jaden Hill and all three of them can go like number one and be like a Cy Young Award type winner one day. Or they can be, you know, number whatever they fall to and the Cy Young Award winner type one day. Like they're all just like studs. So can't really go wrong with that. Just got to hope one of them falls to us at four. But anyways, uh, let's let's just get into the interview. I'm assuming that's why most people are here. So let's, uh, yeah, let's just transition to an interview and hear from Gabe. All right, I'm here with a very special guest. Uh, this man might have the most interesting career path I've ever heard, uh, from NFL regional combine director to Canadian Football League scout to even refing and judging in the UFC, um, my good friend, Gabe Bajarona. Gabe, how you doing?
1: How are you doing today?
0: Man, if it got me better, I wouldn't know what to do, you know?
1: Hey, that's great news.
0: <laughs> yep. Uh, we can kind of just jump in. Uh, first, I think my first question is pretty much: How in the world did you find this crazy career path?
1: Um, it, it's, it's really funny. Um, I've always I've always been somebody who's just been into a lot of different things. Um, I actually fought professionally for a while when I was uh, when I was in college and a couple of, in a year or two after college. So um, so I've actually fought mixed martial arts. I uh, had 16 fights uh, over my career, which spanned about three years. Um, and from there, once I, once I concluded my fighting career, which was short lived, um, I got into uh, officiating. So from there, I've been with the Louisiana State Athletic Commission since 2004. So going on my 17th year of this year, um, refereeing mixed martial arts. Um, you know, then from there, it's funny because uh, that path took me to um, training players for combine. And from there, going to work for the NFL Regional Combine, then directing the NFL Regional Combine, and then ultimately to a scouting position with the Cowboys Campeon.
0: Well, I mean, honestly, I guess the question is, which job has been your favorite?
1: Uh, Actually, I've I've enjoyed all of them. Um, They've all been different. Uh, They've all uh, brought a a little bit different, you know, experience and aspect to my life. And, you know, I'm still involved with all three, Certain degree um, in terms of the uh, the mixed martial arts, I'm still refereeing today. Uh, still, so just recently refereed the uh, the PFL, the Professional Fighters League, was the last big event we've done, and then you know a lot of great events here in Louisiana. So uh, because of COVID, we haven't had the opportunity to host uh, too many events here. I believe the last event that we hosted was in January of 2020. So we've kind of been on a standstill at this point, uh, but you know continuing to do the refereeing. Um, the, the NFL regional combine has long since uh, been disbanded by the NFL itself, but uh, I still train players uh, getting ready for either the pro day or the combine invite uh, still involved with uh, getting, um, you know, individual players ready for their, you know, for their, their big day. And, uh, and from time to time, you know, I'll reach out to a buddy of mine in the CFL. And if I see all the guys getting up to play up there, you know, I'll send a highlight tape and along with recommendations and, you know, see where it goes. You know, anytime I can assist somebody with reaching their goals, you know, I definitely like to.
0: Right, and that's where the uh, strength training background and that stuff comes into play. Um. Okay. Right. So kind of going, kind of going down like the, uh, I guess the trajectory of your career path, starting like chronologically. I guess we start with sure. fighting. Uh, at what age? I know you studied jujitsu. Uh, I saw saw some boxing in there. A little bit, a little bit.
1: You know, um, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna take on a mixed martial arts career at any point, in time, I mean, you're going to have to study boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai. So, you know, uh, not going to say a great deal experience with, uh, all of them except for jujitsu. Um, but you know, dabbled in a little bit here and there, you know, I, de- I definitely know enough to get myself out of trouble or possibly in <laughs> trouble. Right, <laughs>
0: right. Uh, so like what age did you first get into jujitsu? Like what made you join it?
1: Actually, believe it or not, I, I, I've done traditional martial arts for a very long time. And, um, when I attended Loyola University, and while there, a buddy of mine named Rudy was, um, you know, one day we, I ran into him, and he was telling me how, you know, he had gotten into this new martial art called jiu-jitsu with, uh, with, with his buddy, Darren DeSalvo, who's actually a really good friend of mine now. We've become really good friends over the years, um, and he was saying, how, uh, you know, hey, man, this is really hands-on, you know, considering I know your background, I know you enjoy this, I think, I think it'd be awesome if you came and checked it out. So I actually never went to train with Rudy, but I actually found an academy close to my campus, um, which at the time was run by uh, a gentleman by the name of Carl Schmidt and his partner, Chad Robischo. And they also had a mixed martial arts promotion. So they were not only teaching jiu-jitsu and mixed martial arts, but they were also running a promotion at the same time. So that's how, that's how eventually training for jiu-jitsu led me into a – short-lived mixed martial arts career
0: right and um i saw uh on your linkedin i kind of studied that in preparation for the interview um you were in the uh men's national grappling team uh for the u.s yeah
1: so so in 2009 there were uh open trials for the u.s national team and i went to the i went to the u.s national trials competed and qualified and i made the and i made the roster seven times twice as an alternate um, but I was enlisted on the roster for the for the entire decade.
0: Wow, that's crazy. Um, and, like, where do those competitions take place? Is it more like Olympic type, or is it just, so, like, yearly?
1: So, oh, no, so the, the, the U.S., the, the World Championships take place yearly. So the first one was in uh, Fort Lauderdale. The, so the, the first one I was actually able to compete in was here in the U.S. Uh, then the following year, we went to Poland. Then the following year, we went to Serbia. Then Istanbul, Turkey, I believe, was the following year. Then I believe in – back to poland so they uh they kind of bounce around and they find different host nations to uh, host the 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 field of world grappling championships which is what it's called uh so it kind of it kind of bounces around uh, it hasn't been back here in the u.s since um but um but hopefully it will soon
0: yeah yeah and uh kind of going back to the like the refereeing and like judging side um i know you said you fought professionally is that what Kind of gave you the opportunity to be able to become a ref in the UFC, um, Bellator, PFL, all those things.
1: Well, I, I think uh, the opportunity came. Um, I've, I've been refereeing for so long here in the state of Louisiana that I've become one of these senior officials. So, uh, with the amount with the amount of experience and the amount of time I've been on the uh, on the commission, when the bigger events come, we kind of have first choice to come in and uh, and work those events. So then, typically, and typically what happens when the UFC goes to a particular state, they have to work with that state's athletic commission. So when they come here, they work with the Louisiana State Athletic Commission, and the athletic commission will say, "Hey, well, here's our group of guys that we want to referee uh, your event." So, and they, typ- and they typically pick the guys with the most experience at the time. When I ref, when I ref the UFC, which was I believe 2011, was the first one. Um, I had been on the commission seven years, so I had, I had to get a good experience by that point in time. So they uh, they chose me to not only judge but wrap uh, on that same card.
0: Approximately how many uh, UFC matches did you end up doing?
1: Uh total of three. three.
0: Okay. I've done
1: uh, two prelims and one main card. Uh, the main card fight that I did was uh, Sean Jordan and the uh, and the Black Beast back in 2016 when they were at the at the Smoothie King Center. So that was actually a pretty cool fight. Uh, to be involved with, uh, considering they would have had a, um, some, high, some highlight reel uh, knockdowns and uh, a pretty good stoppage in the second round. So I was, uh, I was pretty happy that I got picked uh, to referee that fight.
0: Was that? Could you say that was your favorite fight you ever refereed, or maybe was something smaller?
1: Uh, you know what, that's a tough question, because um, I can't say that, you know, refereeing a fight, just because it's a fight in the UFC, is necessarily my favorite fight. Don't get me wrong, it's definitely a highlight. Uh, however, I've had the opportunity to referee some fights here locally that have been some incredible fights. Um, for, a lot, for a lot of people out there that don't know, we really have a lot of incredible talent here in the state of Louisiana. Uh, I mean, you know, you've had guys like Dustin Poirier, you know, who just, just had that incredible knockout of John McGregor. But we've also had other guys, guys like Kyle Bradley, who've made it to the UFC. Um, you know, so we, we've had other individuals from Louisiana who have made it onto the big stage. Uh, Dustin probably one of the guys who, who's who's seen um, a majority of success uh, from his time up there. But also, don't forget Daniel Cormier He's from from Louisiana as well, and uh, you know he was a title holder at one point, just like Dustin. So um, you know we got we got some talent here. So a lot of um, so I've seen some pretty great fights, not only uh, in the professional ranks here locally, but also amongst the amateur ranks. Um, they have some pretty exciting fighters here uh, here in the state of Louisiana.
0: Yeah. Uh... Just kind of sidetrack here, Uh, since you mentioned McGregor, what are your thoughts on uh, maybe going forward in his career? Do you think he's necessarily washed? um, Or do you think maybe he won't be like the title top guy again, but he's still like an incredible fighter?
1: He's definitely a relevant fighter. I mean, if you look at what he's done uh, over over time with his career, I mean, he's definitely had a a storybook career to say the least. And I really think that he's the type of guy that, you know, that I think they're going to put another – another uh, pretty tough opponent in front of him as soon as possible. Uh, and it'll be a pretty big name fighter. So I, I think we're going to see him in action again here pretty soon. He, Connor's the type of guy, you can knock him down, but I mean, he's going to, he's going to come back, you know, definitely fight, you know, tougher and all a lot stronger.
0: Yeah, Connor's a guy that's also going to bring in some big bags of money. Whenever you have him on a card. Oh,
1: always. I mean, he's still, he's still a draw. People still love to watch him fight. Uh, and I mean, there's always a good opportunity for a great comeback story. So, uh, so stay tuned.
0: Okay. So then going on to the other one, uh, what about Khabib? Cause I mean, he looks like he actually might be retired.
1: Well, it's kind of, it's kind of funny because you have to kind of pay attention to what they're doing in the background. I mean, he's still coming around the event. Um, you still see him at the UFC shows. Uh, you see him walking into back rooms with Dana White. I think they're, I think they're trying to structure a deal for him to come back at this point. Um, you know, with with his with his pedigree and his career and the amount of success that he's had. I mean, he's also he's also another fighter that is a phenomenal draw for the organization. So I know Dana White wants him back as soon as possible. So I think it's just going to be a matter of one of Hey, let's let's kind of wait and see what happens. Um, let's see if the contract negotiations are successful or if could be just uh, could potentially stay retired. Um, but I really think that they're. You know, Dan White's gonna have to open up his wallet to get him to come back in. But I mean, let's be honest, the UFC has that type of money. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see him fight later on this year.
0: I have a buddy who's very big into fighting UFC and all that thing. So he gave me a couple questions. He wants to know sure. he wants to know your opinion pound for pound, who's the best uh, fighter you've seen. And he's pretty much narrowed it down to either John Jones or Khabib, So kind of he wanted I your mean, opinion on
1: that. I mean, let's be honest. Um Khabib has just been so incredibly dominant in every performance that he's had. Yeah. Um, You know, he's, he's one of those guys that just, you know, he has a game plan. He executes it. He'll feel you around for a round, but then the next round, he's just gonna, he's just gonna impose his game and, you know, go after you and finish you. So uh, to be honest with you, especially with as impressive as the wins that he's had, he's dismantled a lot of top talent. I mean, just, you know, you, you look at his opponents, you say, okay, well, it's going to be a tough fight for Khabib, but then it's not a tough fight for him. You know, he, he pretty much just wins convincingly. So I really think Khabib is, is by hands down, more, probably the most dominant individual we've seen in the UFC in a very long time. Yep.
0: And then uh, that was actually his point as well. <laughs> uh, and then all of his <laughs> buddies are big John Jones guys. They like to argue on Twitter pretty often, but, you know, shout out to them. Um, and then his other thing was, I don't really know the context of this, so you might have to explain it to me. Uh, sure. Thoughts on the Robbie Lawler versus Ben Askren uh, stoppage by Herb Dean a few years ago. Do you know what he's referring to? Oh, okay. So, okay.
1: so what he's referring to is, um, is Ben Askren had him in, in, a, in what's called a schoolyard choke. So basically picture when you have your friend in a headlock and you know, you kind of squeeze in his head. Well, the controversy there is that Robbie Lawler did not go out. Now, it's tough to you know, speaking from a referee's perspective, Herb Dean had the closest perspective in that fight. And it's really tough to see. It's really tough to know what Herb saw at that particular uh, moment. However, he did have the closest seat in the house, and if he saw something that he believed needed to be stopped, then he went ahead and stopped it. I mean, being involved in the sport of jujitsu, you see guys who get choked out, and as, soon as, and as soon as you release the lock, they come right back to and then, I mean, literally, like, never even skip a beat. Um, I could tell you times that I was training with my own guys uh, here at Blacklist. And, you know, guys put me in a loop choke. And we're just sitting there working working. I'm like, well, I'm going to let him work this loop choke. It doesn't seem like he has it. And next thing you know, you're kind of like in this daze where you're we're like, okay, well, when I get out of this loop choke, I'm going to do this, this, and this. Well, I had a situation where a student might choke me out while we were, we were working the technique. And literally, I didn't even realize I was out. So it's really tough to say in that situation, and um, you know I'm gonna give the credit to her being on that one. I think he saw something that he felt he needed to stop, and I think as soon as the lock was released, I, you know, that's when Robbie popped back up and said, "No, I'm good. I'm, I'm not out." But you just can never say for sure, so it's kind of a catch-22 situation.
0: Right, like damned if you do, damned if you don't.
1: Correct, correct. I mean, you could have, you could have left him in the lock for a while and just let him pass out, but you know. You, You see a guy, you know, if you see a guy lose consciousness, kind of want to do what as a ref, as a referee, you want to protect that fighter. So you don't want him to to stay in that particular situation for an extended period of time. You mean you don't want to hurt his career long term. You want to see him come back and fight. So right.
0: So you you wouldn't have done anything differently.
1: Um, you know, I I can't say that I would have just because I I wasn't in Herb's shoes at that time. Right. So and knowing knowing and I've refereed with Herb uh, many years ago. And Her- Herb is a, he's a, he's a professional. So I don't think that Herb would have made that call without seeing something that in his mind definitively was a point to stop the fight. Right.
0: I mean, all I know is every single fight I've ever watched, I'm pretty sure he's been the ref.
1: Oh, wow. That's <laughs> there. Are, there are a lot of, there are a lot of other refs as well. I mean, you got uh, big, I don't James, believe it. <laughs> you got big John McCarthy. You got Keith Peterson, Mark Goddard, uh, you know, it's, it's you 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 got um you know you got Jason Herzog. Jason and I, believe it or not, did a lot of the early Bellator course together. He and I refereed quite a few bites together. Now he's he's a he's a main referee in the UFC now, which is uh tip my hat off to him because he's uh he got he got in at the right time.
0: Right. Uh. So you've done all three of those leagues that we talked about already. Which one was like your favorite? Um. I've I saw some stuff. Uh. Like. Some people like Bellator more because they're not as like strict on uh, certain things, overseeing things. Some people like UFC more because of the structure. So I was kind of curious on your thoughts.
1: Um, it it just really depends. I mean, I've seen some great Bellator fights from inside the cage. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard to say you don't like the UFC just because they're a really well put together show. Uh, just from the from the from the top to the bottom, their production is the very first class, and I'd say that Bellator is not um because they they have a first class show as well um it's, it's just it's just, i guess it's a preference thing so i would probably say that that the UFC was my of the big promotions was definitely my favorite uh to referee
0: yeah i'm sure uh going in the smoothie king center in front of like thirty thousand people is probably pretty electric too
1: and it was a lot of fun it was <laughs> definitely a lot of fun, it was fun
0: especially if you end up getting a ref and knockout you're probably like oh yeah that's me <laughs> well-
1: well, I got a TK, I got a stoppage, and I had a TK, and I had a TKO stoppage. So, uh, so no, so I was able to get a little bit into the action. Uh, but uh, and, and, and funny enough, the uh, the commentators gave me props on my stoppage, so it was uh, it was a good night for me.
0: There you go. Look at you. You basically better than Herb Dean now.
1: Uh, no, I don't know about all <laughs> that. No. All right. know. Herb's been doing it a time. Long-
0: kind of a well i no, he's done every ufc fight in history <laughs> in my eyes <laughs> um kind of <laughs> kind of switching gears here uh more to the football talk uh so how were you able to get uh to the point where you were working on uh, the new orleans regional combine director in the nfl uh was it because of your work as like strength training for the combine or
1: so uh interesting story on uh, i'll tie that into you mentioned the u.s national team of grappling so many years ago, 2009, uh, when I competed on the team, uh, I got a ranking of uh, five in the world, which was which was good. Um, but I bet. knowing knowing that I would go, I would, I would go to the trials again and try to go back to the world championship. Um, I knew training down at American Top Team. I wanted to see if there was a professional strength trainer uh, that I could get with because you know training my you know myself at that point just wasn't was gonna, wasn't going to be good enough. So I found a place called Bomber Performance Performances. Went on their website, checked out their, checked out their videos. I was completely sold. So I actually went down there uh, and met Pete Bomberita, who today is one of my best friends. And uh, I was there as a client for the first year. Well, as you know, as the, as my time down there progressed, um, I started working with hand skills for NFL offensive and defensive linemen. Well, Pete kind of caught, caught notice to it. He, he approached me one day. He's like, hey, man, you know, uh, I noticed that you're working hand skills with my guys. And it was more just like, you know, the guys were saying, hey, man, can you, can you help me with my, my hands? And I said, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm here. Well, after we work out, well, you know, I'll, I'll help you out. And he took notice and then eventually hired me to, to work as one of his performance coaches. So my, my initial task there was to work with the offensive of and Defensive Lines and the NFL Veterans. Uh, and then eventually he rolled me into a, uh, into a performance position where I was helping
0: uh, the college
1: uh, athletes get ready for the NFL combine and their pro days.
0: Gotcha. Uh, so how long were you a like, coach there uh, working with Ooh, um, I, people? I, I,
1: was there, I was there at the tail end of 10 and I kind of stopped doing it around 7, 2017, 2018. So almost about 10, full 10 years
0: Jeez, man, that's crazy. What? Uh, I mean, now you got to spill some beans. What are some of the big players you worked with?
1: Okay, so when I got there, uh, the big guys, the, the big guys that I worked with were uh, Greg Olson, uh, Rob Gronkowski was on his way to the NFL Combine. Hadn't even, had even ran a single forty yet. Uh, Antonio Brown was there, uh, probably one of the nicest guys that I've ever met. Uh, Lashawn McCoy was there uh amongst that group and then of course we had uh we've had a bunch of other veterans uh, i remember i met fred taylor um on my initial trip there uh guys like lewis delmas he was with the uh with the detroit lions ej biggers he was down in tampa bay uh so uh pete had pete, pete had a pretty nice roster of uh talent down there and uh and his, his talent will uh, I mean, those are
0: start. those are like legit superstars in the nfl yeah. like the yeah. best wide receiver for five years you had probably the two best tight ends of a certain era, and then you're like just like yeah you know and then we also had the mccoy you know one of the most dynamic running backs Wait, in his
1: time well you also have to remember that at this point time these guys hadn't signed hadn't signed a single nfl contract yet right so i'm sitting there working out next to this guy knowing that they were you know good college players and um at that point i mean you, you know i mean they're you know, they were putting their own bill for their own training, so they hadn't quite become superstars yet. So we were kind of all just, um, you know, uh, you know, in a, in a group with a pretty, bunch of pretty cool guys. we were just all trying to get to the next level in their respective sports. Um, you know, I, 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 a lot of times I think back to those times because um, it was definitely a, a very unique opportunity to be in to share that room with those guys.
0: Yeah. Could you tell back then saying like, oh yeah, like these guys have it, like these guys just have another level, like, especially like Antonio Brown, he was a sixth round pick.
1: Right. No, no. When you, when you watch those guys perform out on the field, like you knew who was actually going to make it and who wasn't. Um, you know, you know, Rob, for as big as he is, he, he's got, he's very light on his feet. I mean, he could catch a ball and he's in full stride within a couple of steps. Antonio Brown, man, when I when I tell you I see him break ankles all the time, down in South Florida, I mean, that guy is just, is surgical with his moves. You know, LaShawn McCoy was one of those guys that he, from a standstill, he'd be in a full, he'd be in a full sprint 40 within a couple of steps. So when you see those guys, you know, really start to, you know, activate those abilities, you know right away. It's, it's, it's not even a question um, if they're going to make it or not.
0: Right, you're just like how much money are they going to accumulate in their careers?
1: Correct, correct. I mean, I mean, because I, I mean, I've also been down there with Frank Gore, Lady on Bell, uh, Maurice Jones-Drew was down there, uh, my Bradshaw right after he won the Super Bowl, and you know these guys go down there and don't get me wrong, they they like being down there and having that you know the sunshine of that beach down in Miami, but don't get me wrong, when they get out on that field during their training period, they work, they work very hard, Sound especially in the sixth thing That that was a that was a very competitive group. Um, you know, I myself would try to get my own workout at some point in time uh, and within one of the groups. Pete would say, hey, jump in whenever you want to get your workout in, get it done, and then, hey, you know, jump back into the, you know, helping the guys. Well, I attended that 6 a.m. group one time, and that was the last time I attended that 6 a.m. group, just because the competition level was ferocious. Yeah. Those guys they literally show up, and the numbers they put down are absolutely insane.
0: Were those guys just trying to get it out of the way so they can go like hang out?
1: <laughs> no, but actually, actually, uh, you know, talking about, um, uh, you know, all pro linebacker John Beeson, he was he was a forever 6 a six a.m. guy, well, along with Frank Gore, and they would just compete, and that's how they would get so much out of their workouts because they would compete day in and day out. So you literally would have guys down there for two and three months at a time just competing every day,
0: right? And that's how.
1: When you have those, that group of all pros working out with each other, that's how they stay all pro. That's how they stay making the big dollars and getting, getting the bigger opportunities for bigger contracts because they, they compete hard with each other in the offseason. I
0: mean, that's probably why Frank Gore is 87 years old and still in the NFL.
1: Look, look, Frank's one of those guys that if you go down there to South Florida right now, he's going to be working out. You hit, the, you hit that afternoon group, um, he, he really doesn't work out a whole lot in the morning anymore. He kind of goes in when there's fewer people. But his, his workout time had gotten any less intense. If anything, they've gotten more intense because I think he's trying to be that 20-year running back.
0: Yeah, yeah. Were there uh, any guys that you like, personally grew really close to?
1: Um, you know, for the most part, I've had a good relationship with all the guys. Um, you know, while they're down there, they're kind of, it's kind of a revolving door with where they'll be in for a couple of weeks, go home for three days, come back. Um, but I've always had a good relationship with a lot with a lot of those guys um you know for the most part you know if i run you know if i go back down there and i see them you know working out or whatnot it's always like a hand stick out five hey man how you been man good to see you down here you know maybe go catch a lunch with them or something but uh yeah we we, we maintain a pretty good relationship
0: yeah i bet and then whenever you see uh like you just named three guys sean mccoy tony brown robin kowski they all just won a super bowl two weeks ago so i'm sure you yeah, like, right? see them you're probably like oh that's awesome like i know that guy
1: Man, yeah. But for the most part, man, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's another day at the office for those guys. So, and they're just, they're just themselves when they're down there working out. Um, You know, they pretty much kind of didn't relax. It's more about just kind of them taking care of themselves and uh, you know, just, just trying to enjoy the time that they're, uh, that they have off for the most part.
0: For, uh, for the most part, do the people like, uh like how you said Gronk came in coming straight out of college, did he just stay with the same people kind of forever? Like, as like he came to y'all out of college did he just continue work with y'all every offseason? season
1: oh, so the way so that works is is that there's a uh, there's a group of agents that pete works with and they're gonna they're gonna say hey look i'm gonna send you this guy or i'm gonna send you this guy um and pretty much you know that's how collectively you see these guys get together and a lot of them and Pete provides a really great atmosphere down there i mean his place is really all-inclusive top to bottom from speed training to weight training to you know any type of medical needs you may have to. Hey, on your way out, grab all your meals for the week. So there's very little that the athlete needs to do except pay the bill. Right. So Pete, he, Pete takes care of the house from top to bottom, which is why you see a lot of guys even after the combine, once they sign on to a big contract, they'll they'll come back for many many years until the playing days are over.
0: Yeah. Um, going on to like the next step. Um, what did. What did your job kind of entail whenever you were the regional combine director for uh, like the greater New Orleans area? Did you have to set everything up? Did you have to find people like and invite them? Uh, Because obviously, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. Correct me if I'm wrong here. um, It's just uh, it's the regional combine is for the people who don't have the invite to the big combine, but NFL uh, teams still think they have a chance to make
1: it. Correct. Okay. So, So the way the regional combine worked was um, they gave college players the opportunity to sign up for the regional combine and perform in front of the scouts that would be, that would be invited. So there were some, there were were some stipulations you had to have played college football that year. So let's say if it was, if we were in the 2017 regional combine, you would have had to play football for the 2016, 2017 season. So it wasn't just available to, any any person who attended college, you had to have been a, you had to have played uh, you know football for a college team. Uh, then from there, once they signed up, they would they would receive a confirmation like yes, we accepted your application. You were part of the regional combine. Then in turn, my job would be to coordinate everything from making sure these guys had uniforms to hydration on site to coordinating with the New Orleans Saints to make sure that the dates we picked were good. Uh, and also making sure that we had, and I, I was also in charge of hiring the personnel uh, for, the, uh, for the different test, testing that we were going to take them through. So uh, my job was a little bit all inclusive, um, you know, from the, from the hiring to making sure that logistically, the day, the day that the, uh, the combine came, we'd be able to get these guys here and get them outfitted out on the field and uh, ready to roll.
0: Right. Um, how many, how was the turnout usually whenever it came to team scouts and stuff like that?
1: So a funny story is that most of the, com, most of the regional combines were single day. Uh, all the regional combines that I ever worked were always two day events. Some, some kind of way I was lucky enough to get involved in the two day event. So we would have a group of 75 players in the morning. They we would start the testing roughly around eight and have them done by, about 1145 noon. And then at one o'clock in the afternoon, our second group would check, uh, our, our group would start checking in. We take them to about five. And that was another group of 75. So on the given weekend, we'd probably evaluate somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, of 300, 350 players.
0: Yeah. And uh, all 32 teams would usually be represented, or does it kind of just depend on the talent pool? Uh, it,
1: just, it just really depends. I mean, the the, the regional combine is, is, is in a very interesting time. And I didn't even realize this until I became a scout for the Stampeders. Is that they are actually those events are run in the middle of the pro day season, and what the pro day season is is that is is after the combine, every school, every university is going to host a workout where they invite the they invite the NFL scouts to come in and their guys work out for the NFL scouts. It was typically right around the time that at at the height of that. Um, of of all that that was going on, so it's uh it would vary on the attendance. I mean, you know, but I mean, you would never have anything less than about fifteen scouts show up. So it it was a pretty well the teams were pretty well represented.
0: That's good. Um, and then you kind of but, mentioned your time as a scout with the Stampeders. I was gonna ask you about your time with that. Uh, did you have to live in Canada during that time? No, no, no,
1: no. I mean, we would I, I would occasionally have to go to Canada just for like training camp. Um, kind of look over the, uh, the the guys that were being evaluated, who we were going to keep, who we weren't going to, who we potentially we were going to cut, uh, come the time of the regular season. But uh, no, I went to Canada a couple of times, uh, watched us compete in the Grey Cup, which is uh, the CFL version of the uh, Super Bowl. So you know, went to went to a couple Grey Cups, uh, went up there for training camp a couple times. Uh, absolutely phenomenal experience. And, and the one thing I tell uh, players who are working out for the CFL is that the guys who play in the cfl could easily play in the nfl yeah so so if you're if you're if you're going to try to make a run and go to the cfl prepare yourself as if you were going to work out for the for an nfl team because talent is 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 definitely at par
0: right i mean i would assume most of especially like the top guys over there you could they could make a roster in the nfl or like they would be would be able to get uh, training camp type invites. They would be like down to the final wire cuts. And right. I'm like it's still professional football at the end of the day.
1: Absolutely, and I mean, at the end of the um, the last breakup, I was a part of was the twenty for the twenty eighteen season. Um, you know, we had guys for the uh, for the Stampeders who after after we won the breakup were cherry picked by the NFL. You know, I mean, we had Alex Singleton go go to the Eagles. He's been there for a couple of years now. Uh, Reggie Begelton is up at the, uh, with the uh, Green Bay Packers. So once uh, once once the CFL team wins a championship, you can definitely you can definitely count on the NFL coming in and, and picking up the good guys off that team.
0: Right, and then all of a sudden you're back to square one. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, and, and 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 it's it's interesting too because I mean, you know, some of the guys you think that are are being looked at by the NFL may or may not make it just because of how um, you know just how difficult it is to make an NFL roster, and then you hear hey man, this guy, this guy played week two. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's always interesting to see who, who makes it and who doesn't.
0: Right. Well, kind of wrapping up here, what are you up to these days? Like got anything else uh, going on?
1: Actually, man, believe it or not, man, a lot of things have kind of come to an standstill with, with COVID, you know, I'm still just working my, uh, my regular day job right now. And I try to stay, you know, we normally I would be you know, like knee deep and working with a couple of college players, uh, getting them ready for the, uh, for their pro days. But, um, a lot of that stuff is up in the air right now. And I don't think I, think, I think a lot of it will remain kind of lock and key until we're, we're past this, um, this COVID uh, pandemic. So, uh, so kind of, uh, you know, just kind of, um, in a holding pattern for the time being until some things open back up.
0: Right. Um, so is that kind of what you want to do now for the, I guess the rest of your career, so to speak, is the performance training, getting the college guys ready for the combine, or is there anything else you might want to venture
1: into? I, it's just tough to say because I mean, you, um, you never know what opportunity is going to pop up. I mean, if you would have told me back in 2009 that, yeah, Hey, you look, you being down here at me performance to be on the U S national team will eventually bring you all these other opportunities. I would have just laughed at you, <laughs> but, um, you know, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what opens up. Um, like I said, always, you know, always an enjoyment, uh, working with the athletes here in South Louisiana, if there's an opportunity to do so, I would definitely, uh, I would definitely be open to it. Um, uh, I guess we'll just have to wait to see what uh what happens after we get past the pandemic.
0: Would you ever be open to doing uh like a strength uh, strength coach for maybe a college football team or an NFL team if that opportunity ever did arise?
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, if uh I'll tell you what, if you've ever been to LSU strength room and seen what they and see what they have going on, <laughs> you would absolutely be open to that opportunity. Um, those are those are, those strength rooms are some very special places um and it's been a privilege to walk into into a few of those
0: yeah we um uh we my family's had season tickets now for probably five six years now and mm-hmm. we got to go on a locker room tour to where like they take you all through the football ops building and uh, it is insane
1: that place is that place is uh for lack of a better term pretty magical <laughs> yes <laughs> you walk you walk into that strength room um and it's funny because you walk through the strength room and then you go through another door and you're in their indoor practice facility. Yep. And they've got that place just so efficiently laid out that they don't waste a second of time. And, you know, that's why LSU has won a, won a recent national championship. You know, you go into that building and you can see why. I, you know, definitely honestly, well
0: Yeah, I don't understand how they lose a single recruit. They showed us a little hype video. They show all the recruits and I'm just like, all right, Coach, <laughs> all I'm ready. Right five <laughs> foot 11 guy here he's ready he's ready he's gonna go
1: yeah and let's, and let's be honest you know coach moffitt the uh their head strength coach man he's, he's a professional and he does some incredible things with those players so uh you know definitely definitely understandable why they're so successful
0: yeah i got a, a buddy there kind of wrapping up because yeah but i got a buddy there that's uh, an equipment manager and he talks about like how how scheduled everything is and basically like you mess around, you're a minute late, all of a sudden you messed up
1: everybody's day. Yes, that's absolutely true. Yeah,
0: but uh, anyways, I appreciate you coming on. Do you have any other uh, lasting thoughts? Anything you wanted to say?
1: No, not really. I mean, I really appreciate your, you. know, definitely appreciate you having me on. definitely appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, look forward to, uh, you mentioned talk, talking about the draft here potentially in the future. So I definitely look forward to that.
0: Yeah, um, I guess this is the last thing. All right, I have two more questions. I have my parting question that I'm gonna ask yep. everybody. Then I'm gonna ask you this. Who would be sure. your number two quarterback right now? Obviously Trevor Lawrence won, but if you had to pick uh like Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields. You think so?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, this guy, this guy is definitely is definitely pro ready. Um I, I would love I would love to have him in the roster. I think he's extremely talented. He's got a good he's got a good good FBI, uh, you know, moves well in and out. Out of the pocket, um, he's got strong arm too and very accurate. So Kyle Trask is actually my number two. I think a lot of people will be surprised by that, but he's definitely my he's definitely the guy.
0: Well, I actually agree. I'm hoping he can somehow fall to the Saints. Uh every every mock draft I've seen, he's not even in the first round. And I'm like, this guy's played like 14 college games. And like he didn't play in high school, he barely played in college, and like he's this good already. If you can get him under with somebody with Sean Payton, or if you can get him in a good system with a good coach, good team, good front office. I think this guy can be like your starting quarterback for the next 10 years.
1: I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. All the guys that I've seen have success in the NFL have all been pretty cerebral quarterbacks. Um, you know, definitely good physical ability, but you can me like guys, I always say you have to have it between the years. You know, you have to have that good football intelligence. If, if that's, if you can really break this game down and, and really understand the numbers, you know, then you're going to have no problems. And I think, I think Kyle Trask, I mean, clearly Trevor Lawrence is that guy, but Kyle, I believe Kyle Trask that is that guy as well.
0: Right. All right. Last question that I ask all of my guests. Uh, If you can go back in time and experience, relive uh, any moment in sports history, what would it be?
1: Man, that's a tough one. There are a lot of greatest moments in sports history. Um, Wow. Man, that's, that's, that's really tough to say. Um, whoo, you know what? I'll, I'll say this. Um, they always talk about uh, how, an, how an incredible running back Walter Payton was, and I would love just to be able to experience watch him play live, right? Um, so I think if I had to pick something, can't say this is my best mode, but this is just definitely something that sticks out in my mind is you know, definitely watch, you know, watch Sweetness play. Uh, playing a live game you know what well, definitely watch them when i was a kid i watched them play on tv quite a bit but watch him have one of those uh you know 150 160 r rushing games that you know that'd be fun to watch
0: it's a great answer that's a great answer yeah. all right well <laughs> thank you for your time i really appreciate it hopefully everything goes well with what you're trying to do
1: with uh I appreciate it. thank you yeah
0: but anyways thanks for coming on and hopefully we can get you back on soon
1: Hey, I'd love, you know, I'd love the opportunity and uh, I really appreciate you having me here. It's been great. All right.
0: All right. Big thanks to Gabe. Uh, Hopefully you guys enjoyed the interview. I enjoyed doing it. Uh, It was a very, very interesting interview to say the least. He's a very interesting fella, very interesting guy. So if you did enjoy it, uh, don't be afraid to let me know. You can tweet at me, whatever, you know. Um, I'm probably going to be getting him back on around combine time. We talked about that. We talked about him coming back on and kind of discussing, uh, basically what happens during combine week, some of the psychology behind the questions that they ask, you know, every single year, there's some weird story about, about how weird, like little questions that are asked, whether it's about like, just like some weird psychological question about the guy's grandmother and mom and like weird stuff like that. So we kind of talked about that after the interview. Uh, we actually talked for a good 30 minutes before and after the interview. So Let's just say we get along pretty well, so I'm assuming that there's going to be some more content uh, coming together in the future. But uh, now we can kind of move on a little bit, uh, kind of talk about the rest of the stuff going on in sports right now and kind of in the episode at that. Uh, I absolutely love the interview that we did, so I feel like we don't need to talk as much, uh, especially it was a good interview to have since there's not much going on right now. So the NBA All-Stars came out. It was announced. Uh, as usual, Devin Booker didn't make the all-star team. So everybody kind of like freaked out. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm going to pull up the, the NBA all-star list right now and kind of talk, I guess, just like name the people and we can kind of go from there. But the two biggest snubs, according to everybody were Devin Booker and then uh, Sabonis. So yeah. Uh, Julius Randle and Zach Levine ended up getting in, so Sabonis didn't get in. And people are upset because he's the first person to I think he's the first person in NBA history to average twenty, ten, and five and not make an all-star game. So yeah, I guess uh I guess there's some good reasons to be good reasons to be like worried. Um so pulling up the reserves in the Western Conference, you have Chris Paul, Paul George, Damian Lillard. Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Zion Williamson, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis will be replaced. Um, it would probably be by Devin Booker, now that everybody was freaking out about it, including the players. Uh seems just like that's kind of what's going to happen. Uh, Brandon Ingram's uh, <laughs> Brandon Ingram's probably another option for it, but they're going to give it to Booker. Uh, when LeBron tweets saying this guy was robbed and then a spot opens up, You you just give it to that guy. Um, in the East, you have James Harden, Julius Randall, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Zach Levine, Ben Simmons, and then uh, Nikola Vukanovic. V- I, I can't say his name. I'm struggling. The center from the ma- Magic. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm not great at uh, Eastern European names. So we're gonna have to figure that one out and give him a uh, give him a make well last week. But he's been balling. Uh, since I can't pronounce his name, I'll. Uh, I'll give him a little extra praise just cause I feel bad. So this season he is average 24 points, 12 rebounds and four assists a game as a center for the magic. That's, that's like very, very good numbers. That is, you know, that's bonus numbers. That's uh, that's, that's the type of numbers that like the center position all of a sudden feels like a strong point in the NBA again. I don't know what happened. Like, it became a guard league, and then out of nowhere, like the centers kind of took back over. I mean, the two like top two guys with the MvP right now are Joel Embiid and uh Nicole Jokic. So then you also have Carl Anthony Towns, you have Sabonis, you have Bam bio, you have um Anthony Davis, you have like him, like it's it's getting kind of loaded again at center. Uh Pretty much a two years, maybe, after being like, man, there's really no centers in the league right now. So that's that's probably good for everybody's grandparents and dads. They're probably excited again that we get to watch big man basketball. I Myself, I'm more of a Steph Curry, Dame Lillard, shoot fest kind of guy. Uh, best me, you know. Everybody likes different things for their game. Now, to pull up the starters. For some reason, I can't just find a list with all of the NBA <laughs> All-Stars. I don't understand why they wouldn't make it easier to find, but yeah, that's all right. Found it. All right. So in the West, it is Luka Doncic, of course, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Jokic, and Kawhi Leonard. In the East, you have Kyrie Irving, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Joel Embiid. And then Kevin Durant and LeBron James are the two captains. So... Yeah, um, I haven't really seen how they're going to do the game this year. Uh, I know last year they played the weird uh, first team to whatever score thing. I don't know how they're going to do it this time. I don't know if they're going to do that again. Um, Last year, as weird as it was, it kind of felt like it made it more intense in a way. Um, because they're playing for an exact score instead of playing for like a certain amount of time. And they kind of kept pace with each other all game to like the end of the game. Like both teams are like really like trying and like, you know, wanting to win. So that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to end up happening with exactly how the game's played. I feel like the NBA is just kind of playing all this fight year because we didn't even know where the game was going to be played until like, you know, a week ago we didn't even know like we still i guess technically don't know well no the nba announced i think yesterday tuesday that there is going to be like a three point con- uh, competition and a dunk contest and all this other stuff so i don't know it's <laughs> this. all this just feels very weird i feel like i feel like the nba really wasn't planned for this like they were just playing it all by ear like if covid starts on our season then you know whatever if it doesn't then we're going to have to make a plan da 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 like it's it's a very weird situation, but yeah, those are the, those are the all-stars. Uh, of course, there are going to be snubs. There is 12 spots for 15 teams in each conference, and there's teams that have multiples. So that takes away even more spots. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's kind of part of it. If Honestly, the problem wouldn't be the worst idea if they expanded all-star rosters to 15 but I mean, no matter how much you expand it by, there will always be quote unquote snubs. Like there will always be borderline people that, you know, should have got in or yada yada yada. It's it's the same debate as college football debate saying, oh, like we gotta expand the playoffs, we gotta get it to eight. But yeah, but then once we get it to eight, it's like, oh, let's now we gotta decide between eight and nine. Like, no, no, no let's expand it to sixteen. And it goes on and on and on forever. Um, now saying that I do want the college football playoffs to expand to eight. I've talked about this a few times. I want it to be uh if you win your five major conferences, you get an automatic bid. Group of five, best group of five team goes is voted by by the committee, and then you get two wild card spots. You know, like an, two at large bids. Like whoever whoever the committee finds or the uh, like two best remaining teams, that's who gets to go. I always felt like that was a great idea. Everybody gets representation. Uh, you're getting a non power five person involved in the playoffs every year too. So, like, it helps give those guys incentives. It helps them out financially as well. So, I've always liked that idea. Um, I know this is a very weird tangent to go from, uh, like, LeBron James is the captain of a team for the all-star game to college football, how they can fix it. But it's kind of how it is. Uh, One last thing before we go. Uh, Devontae Smith, there is really, like, no reason for you to... uh, (laughs) There's really no reason for you to, like, call out Tua like that. Um, If you didn't see... Devonta Smith basically went on this like ramp about how Mac Jones is so good, he's way better than Tua. is not that good. Mac Jones is awesome. Like it was kind of like over-the-top rant. And then the media ran with it. So like it made it even like look even worse than what it really was. So instead of just being like, yeah, like Mac's my guy. Like, I love Mac. Mac's a really good quarterback. He had to be like, Mac's good. is not Mac's good. Mac's way better than him. Like, okay. Like, seems a little random. You also probably just cost yourself. Uh, at getting drafted third overall by Miami and going to a great situation year one at a probable playoff team, because you just kind of threw their quarterback under the bus for really no reason of your own. So I <laughs> that situation is confusing. Um, I really don't get like why he just randomly decided to say these things. What really provoked him, but. That's I mean, that's between him and Tua. That's between them two. But that's pretty much gonna do for today. I'm uh I'm working on some other interviews. I promise, guys, I promise there's stuff in the works. I'm not just saying that. This one proves it and buys me some time. Um I've been sliding in DMs like like a 14-year-old boy going through puberty over here, like trying to get people on. Uh I'm in contact with a few guys right now that could be some pretty, pretty big guests. Uh some pretty, pretty big gets that would uh Let's just say it would grow the Couchmaniac Sports podcast family. So uh, we're gonna pretty much end it on that note. Uh, if you enjoyed the interview, don't be afraid to you know reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, and if you have any other maybe questions or whatever, I'm probably gonna tag Gabe uh, if you want to go give him a follow. Let me go plug his Twitter since I didn't really ask him for that, so he can try and get some more some more followers of his own. All right, his Twitter is. G- Gabe, like G-A-B-E, and then A-T-T. So Gabe A-T-T. So go check him out. Uh, he was a great guest. He was a lot of fun to have on. And I really hope you all enjoyed the interview as much as I did, I as much as I enjoyed giving it. But that's pretty much going to do it for today. I will see you guys next week. Love you guys.